Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. The key to resurrection, one of the most important parts in our series about the use of the tongue. We get a first glimpse of the resurrection message in John chapter 11. The scene is where Lazarus has died the brother of Mary and Martha. These are very, very close friends of Jesus. Mary and Martha uh, adore their brother. He's passed away. You guys know the story. Uh, He he dies. Jesus weeps over this. He, He mourns Lazarus' death. But he allows for Lazarus to lay in the grave four days. And the reason is that in the Jewish concept, the idea that after four days there was no chance for them to be revived, there was no chance for health, etc. And so we find in chapter 11... This scene where they're mourning this situation. John chapter 11, starting at verse 19, says this. It says, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. He'd already died. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. In other words, she had so much faith already She knew that with whatever was ill with Lazarus, and we don't know, we don't know what killed him, she already had the faith that he had become ill, that he would have saved him, he would have healed him. But this is the one they hadn't seen yet. This is the great work, the great glory, and the great miracle of God they had not seen yet. If you'd been here, he'd have not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, many of the Jews knew the Jewish law. They knew Moses' words. And the only people at the time that even refuted the resurrection process, the resurrection existing, was the Sadducees, that sect of of the Jewish leadership that denied the resurrection. Verse 25 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, he asks her. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You can be seated this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection. And he wasn't talking about in that last day, necessarily. If you look at Mark 16 and 16 and 19, we see that Simon Peter says the exact same thing. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a revelatory moment. In other words, she was actually the first one to truly declare that she understood exactly who Jesus is and the power that he had. Later, Peter says it when Jesus is coming in from Caesarea Philippi. He challenges the apostles and asks them, who do you say I am? And they give them all kinds of names. John the Baptist and Elijah returned and so forth. But it's Peter that stood up and had that same revelatory moment, that same understanding of exactly who Jesus was when he declares, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I would contend with you this morning that the Christ is the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, why is this important? What what is it about the resurrection? And certainly, how does it tie in to this idea of how we use our tongues? 
for the wicked and for the evil or for the good and the powerful. Every one of us should be concerned about the resurrection. Now, the word resurrection literally means to reanimate or bring life back to. That's what it, it literally is sourced in that. And so the Jews understood the concept that a resurrection would happen. They would die, they would be put into the ground, and that someday God would resurrect them into uh, an eternal life with him. But what they didn't understand and what the concept was new to them was this, that there had to be a special resurrection because not everyone was going to die in all, of America, excuse me, in all of human history. Not everyone was going to die before the Lord returns to take his church away. So I want to talk to you about that concept today. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, you know well, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto the sea, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We talked about this very recently. I preached about that whole section, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the being born of the water and the Spirit, because in truth, you must understand that there are two births. And certainly, if there are two births for every Christian, there are two deaths. A man is born naturally of his mother. A woman is born naturally of his mother. But of course, in the world that Jesus is laying out here in John chapter 3, a man must be born again. he got to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. It's not singular. There's critical difference there. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Resurrection. <laughs> Good Lord Almighty. Where did you find it? Is that right? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And I'm past that page now. So. Is that right? Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So Jesus is laying the foundation for this message. There are two births and there are two deaths and therefore resurrection is critical even for the living. There's a very good chance in what we're facing right now in the world that we're living in that many of us in this room are going to face, are not going to face death. Now, I've got a pretty good chance at it. No one laughed. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm embarrassed to death at the moment, so I need a resurrection of that. But um, I love you guys. But many of us may not face death. There's going to be a moment, a twinkling of an eye, a last trump. You know, you know that story. God could return at any moment. We're not promised the next five minutes. I was praying he would come from the time I left my office and came back here. <laughs> he didn't. So let me talk to you a little bit about those two resurrections and why you should be concerned and why it's such a powerful message. John chapter 5, turn with me there. John chapter 5 starting at verse 25. Someday our bodies, if we're still here and God returns, there's a transformation process. I'm gonna to talk to you about that in just a moment. But the Bible clearly indicates that there are two resurrections, one to eternal life and one to eternal death. Listen to John chapter five and 25. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Jesus preaching, now the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear it shall live. In other words, when he returns with that shout, that shout of victory, 
and the voice of the archangel, they're going to hear his voice and the dead will hear him and they shall live. Verse 26, for as the father have life in himself, so hath given to the son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also. Because he is the son of man, and that's a key point. He's got the authority to execute judgment because the son of man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And we know that, right? We know the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first and they that are alive and remain shall meet him in the air. It says in verse 29, and shall come forth that they have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Okay, pastor, I got you. That makes sense. Uh, People that did good, if they're dead and they're in the grave, they're gonna get called up. They're gonna hear the voice of God at that return. We call it the rapture. That is sourced in scripture, in the word. People say, well, that word doesn't exist in the Bible. Well, it doesn't exactly, but it's derived from the original Greek. We use the word rapture. And so we know that there's a time when that's gonna happen. And at the exact time, those two resurrections are happening. Because when he comes back, the dead are going someplace too, is what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 24 says that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, Paul said in Acts 24. But the key is here, first of all, the dead have to be buried first in order to be resurrected. That's natural, right? That makes sense. Someone dies, we bury them. Very, very, very... uh, Uh, obvious. Colossians 2 and 12 says this though. It says in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him. Because alive currently now, prior to baptism, you're a dead man or a woman. Literally a dead man walking. This old man, that old man has to die. So we're buried with him in baptism, where also it says ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. That's referring back again to that time when his voice will shout and he will call the dead to rise through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. We start to understand that there is a burial first and we know that that burial of this old man has to be in baptism. Now, many people believe that the resurrection is when you pop back up out of the water or when, when that, that all happens, and there is a resurrection that's happening there. But let me go a little bit further to explain this a little deeper. Romans chapter six, verses three through five, Paul says it this way. He says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. We became like him. We were buried with him. It says in verse four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In other words, this old dead man needs to be buried, but we need to be buried like Jesus. We need to be buried in that likeness so that we can be raised up just as he was by the glory of the Father. Verse five, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Very key. Now, if we are baptized, they didn't grab people that had just died and took them over the waters of baptism, dunked them in there and pulled them back out. These are live people we're talking about. You understand there's two deaths. There's the death you experience 
when you repent and you give your life over to God and we bury that dead man. And somewhere down the road, if the Lord tarries, we will die again. We need to be planted in the likeness of his death, in his burial, so that we can partake in that resurrection promise. But how does that happen? Look at first Tim, excuse me, in Titus chapter three, starting at verse four. It says that, but after the kindness and love of God our Savior, keep a note on that, that's an interesting point. It says, God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done. We've done the, the good things. We've done the things that God has called us to do. We've, we've done our tithing and our witnessing and our love and our, all that stuff. But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now that renewing of the Holy Ghost doesn't mean that you're renewing the Holy Ghost. It means the renewing power or the renewing capability of the Holy Ghost. It's regeneration is what that's referring to. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now notice in verse four, it starts out the love of God, our Savior, and ends with Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is not a misprint or an anomaly. It's talking about the same individual. So what Titus is saying basically is, It's not works of righteousness. It's not all of that stuff. It's his mercy that saved us, but it was the washing of regeneration. It's that burial first and then the renewing or the regeneration from the Holy Ghost. This is talking about resurrection. And I know you guys, wow, this is kind of like a science lesson, Pastor. Where are you going with this? But listen, continue with me now. Hang in there. Somehow our bodies have to be changed to be resurrected. In other words, if you live to the point where God returns, there's still a resurrection for you. There is a transformation that happens. There's a change. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, going to verse 42. Paul's preaching to the Corinthians. He says, so also it is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. In other words, the flesh dies and it's not flesh anymore. It's raised in corruption. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. Sin, bad stuff, goes down under that water. It is raised in glory, perfected. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. But look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. See, when you go under those waters of baptism, it's a natural body, it's gotta die. That's that first death. But then it goes on to say, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, Jesus. Okay, you following me? So it says there that the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How many know that Jesus is the Holy Ghost? The spirit, his spirit living in us. His spirit, I'm linking to putting the links together now. This is a little bit more, a little deeper. His spirit is a quickening spirit. That word quickening means transforming. Okay, hang in with me now. I'll get you my notes if you need them. I found them now. 
Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, you drop down to verse 51. Look at what he says. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. Sleep means dead. Just so you know, when the Bible talks about sleeping, generally, it's talking about dead. We we will not all die, but we shall be changed, quickened, transformed in a moment In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, transformed, resurrected. You see, for you, the living, there is a resurrection for you. Those of you that were buried in the waters of baptism, you came up out of that water, you were buried with him in the likeness of Jesus' burial. But coming out of that water, you are prepared to be transformed. Okay, now let me take it a little bit further. Remember I said the title was The Key to the Resurrection. You know, I told you earlier that Martha understood. She had the revelation. She said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That was her revelation. She understood what was happening. And she knew that Jesus had the capability at that point to speak to her brother And have him rise out of the grave. And he did. And I referenced to you Peter. In Matthew chapter 16. When Peter was told by God. I will give. uh, Peter said to Jesus. Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus tells him. Listen. You didn't get that from the flesh and blood. From me standing here. You got that revelation. But remember. Remember that's the same passage. Where Peter is given the keys. To the kingdom of heaven. Key is the key word in key. Peter got the keys. He preached the keys in Acts chapter two when the Holy Ghost returned to Jerusalem. But the complete message wasn't just the repentance. It wasn't just the baptism in Jesus' name. It was the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Remember, those keys were expressed to those people on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost rained down on them. The key to resurrection is the Spirit in us. Look at John 6 and 63. It even says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Quickeneth means to reanimate or to restore life. It's resurrection. The key to resurrection is the Holy Ghost in us. It is the thing that will function, that will create that experience. When you're lying in the grave or when you're standing alive and the trumpet sounds and that twinkling of an eye happens and that noise is loud abroad and God begins to call home his and the dead in Christ rise first, that first resurrection, that is him calling the dead, that second resurrection, the one of those of us that are alive and remain, it is a function of the Holy Ghost inside us, in us, that will transform. Our bodies will literally quicken, as John 6 and 63 says. It will transform. And that is the resurrection that we should be most concerned about. As long as we're drawing breath in our lungs and we're living every single day, striving to live for God. It is the breath in our lungs that you should be concerned about. Because if you're alive, there's a resurrection coming for you. 
Paul says to Romans in chapter to the Romans in chapter 8 starting at verse 9 but you're not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwells where in you now if any man have not spirit of Christ he is none of his i have i have gone round and round with people for years talking about well i believed God i accepted him as my savior and so i have the holy ghost you might feel the holy ghost you might experience the holy ghost god may even be operating in your life through the Holy Ghost. But if God is not in you, he said to the Romans in in chapter 11, excuse me, in chapter 9, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, he is none of his. This is so critically important because it is the Spirit in you that will quicken your mortal bodies. It will be the thing that transforms you. Look what he says in verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also do what? Quicken your mortal bodies. How? By his spirit that dwelleth in you. You understand how critically important it is that we lock down on this concept. They'll deny it. They'll say it's not true. I have the Holy Ghost because I believed. I have the Holy Ghost because I said so. I have the Holy Ghost because I got baptized. But if you don't know for sure that that Spirit of God is in you, you're going to miss the quickening power when God returns for his church. Acts chapter 4, Peter said, he's, and you can stand with me this morning, I'm closing. I kept you long enough for this other thing. Acts chapter 4, Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost, it says. 4 and 31, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That term, Strong's, I'm going to take you back again. I love referencing you to the original Greek. Prove me out. Peter filled, G, 4130. In your Strong's concordance, your translation of the word filled, containing, inside. It was filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 9 and 17, Ananias tells Saul that Jesus sent him to lay hands on Saul. Saul was knocked out of the horse and blinded. He's still Saul. He's in the city. He, sent, he says, I, Jesus sent me to lay hands on you, Saul, that you might receive your sight and what? Be filled, G, 4130, of the Holy Ghost. Acts 13 and 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Ghost. You have to be filled. It's got to be in you. And how? And you all know the Spirit is in you. Mark 16 and 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. Acts 2 and 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How do we know? Because they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 10 and 46. For they heard them speak with tongues. That's how they knew. That's how they knew they were inside. Acts 19 and 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. 1 Corinthians 14 and 22 and 39 confirm it again. Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe but to them that believe not. He says in verse 39 forbid not to speak with tongues. In this last segment that God laid on my heart to talk about the power and the wickedness and the good and the righteousness and the evil of that piece of meat stung 
stuck between our gums and our teeth, this most important facet of the tongue that's in your head is it is the method to determine that the Holy Ghost resides inside you, that it dwells in you. Why? Because it's the factor of resurrection. God's going to blow that. That trumpet is going to blow soon. His voice is going to shout out. The world's not got much time left. There's an urgency. There's an urgency in us that are preaching the word. And you've got to understand, you've got to start using that tongue to let the Holy Ghost out. You've got to let that thing go so God knows and you know that the Holy Ghost dwells inside you. It's so incredibly important. It's the key to resurrection. You've got to let the Holy Ghost prevail. You've got to pray in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Use that tongue for good. Shut down those things that the flesh wants us to say and do. It's the Holy Ghost that will quicken. The trumpet's going to sound. I'm telling you, folks, it's... God has laid it so heavy on my heart to get this message across. You've got to understand, don't sequester that tongue. If you can go to work the next day and hack up somebody, if you can criticize the stuff that's going on in your church or changes right in the middle of a service, then you can surrender that thing and turn it over to God and say, God, let the Holy Ghost reign inside me. I want to be resurrected when you come, God. I want to be resurrected when you're here. The key to resurrection is knowing that you've got that Holy Ghost operating inside you. Matthew chapter 25 is the the parable of the 10 virgins. I've preached on it before. Pastor Kylie's preached on it many times. But the indicator there, the representation, the symbol that's there of the oil in the lamps of the virgins is that it runs out. You understand, half of them lost their oil, burned it all out, it was gone. You can quench the Holy Ghost. You can deny the Holy Ghost. You're capable of doing that. You can say it doesn't exist. I have it no matter what I say. I don't have to speak in tongues to determine I've got the Holy Ghost. That's not what the Word of God says. Half of those virgins ran out of oil. They lost their Holy Ghost. They gave up on it. They were doing something else. They were sleeping and the oil ran out. And then they tried to go to the merchant. They tried to beg for the others to give me some of your oil. Give me some of your Holy Ghost. I've lived like garbage for the last several years, friend. Hey, hey, let me latch on to you. Let me latch on to your Holy Ghost. You're on fire for God. No, it doesn't work like that. You've got to be on fire. You've got to be filling your oil. You've got to be filling your lamps because there's a resurrection that's coming. And it ain't when you're dead. It's when you're alive. This altar's open this morning. I'm pleading with you today. Get a hold of the God. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost right now, if it's been a long time since you've spoken that thing out, surrender your fear. Surrender your presuppositions about the Holy Ghost. Come down and don't don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about pastor. Just say, God, if this is true, if this is really what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm here. I'm surrendering to you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.